Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with bereavement professionals. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Janet Christofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to share this episode with you because it's a little different than what we usually do. A few months ago, we put out a call to the Grief Out Loud community and asked people to send us their stories about grief and significant days. When we're grieving, there can be a lot of hotspot days throughout the year. Some of these might be known quantities, like a birthday or an anniversary of the death or a diagnosis. And by known, I just mean you know they're coming, not that you know what they're going to be like. Others, though, are unexpected, random moments and days that catch you off guard and bring grief into stark relief. And just like how grief is different for everyone, how we approach these significant days can be as unique as we are and individual to the relationship we shared with the person who died. So as with most of our work, this episode won't give you a recipe or tell you the right way to handle these significant days, because as I'm sure is no surprise, there's no right way to do it. This is just a window into how some people approach these days. These are days that are sometimes messy, sometimes beautiful, and most likely messy and beautiful at the same time. Lots of people struggle to figure out what plan to make for significant days. There can be a lot of pressure to do something that feels significant, and that's a lot to sort through, especially in the midst of heightened emotions. Add in balancing what other people in your family or your friend group want to do, and it can quickly get complicated. John and his son Evan make a plan together for these days, while Victoria and Natalie have come to realize that spending the day alone, doing something in honor of their person, feels the most meaningful to them. Our significant days have definitely evolved and uh, used to include any day that had a memory associated with Leslie. I wanted to, and I thought it was important to Evan that we acknowledge them, and to not do so uh, would have felt disrespectful. Uh, there was a lot of psyching myself up for the big days, and they generally went well because I'd steeled myself anticipating them. Uh, it was the other days where my guard was down that I would uh, get floored by something. Over time, uh, the list of days has gotten smaller, but that feels right. Uh, Evan and I decide together how we acknowledge them. Um, they're more celebratory now and are about how lucky we were to have Leslie in our lives. Uh, I'm Victoria. Uh, my dad died from pulmonary arterial hypertension April 3rd, 2014. What I usually do for the anniversary, since my family are private people, for the first two years we actually like went out and did stuff, but for the other two years we all just kind of kept to ourselves and I'm the type of person who actually wants celebrate stuff so this past anniversary I actually um, went out and bought his favorite ice cream which is like some haagen brand that him and I used to like eat a lot. I watched some of his favorite movies like Star Wars, The Princess Bride and Disney movies because he was he's a big Disney fan and yeah 
I, that's about it. So today is my mother's birthday. She has been deceased for about two and a half years, and I am by myself. My girlfriend and I both lost our mothers at age 22, a year apart. She's a year younger than I am. Even though we are often getting comments like, you're so lucky that you have this in common, of course you're together, I I don't like to be with her on significant days. I like to be by myself because my grief and my relationship to my mother is not about her. I think a lot about the a friend of mine who a couple of days after my mother got died, she sent me a Facebook message that said, the only advice that I can humbly give you is to take care of yourself and do what you need. I The way that I find that I take care of myself on these significant days, these heavy days, is to be alone. I often go to outdoor areas, areas where I feel close to my mother. She's not from Portland, and she didn't have significant places there, but she loved the ocean. She loved birds, real bird-watching nerd. And so I find big spaces where I can be alone with my thoughts and alone with her. Sean, Michelle, and Derek all speak to how the intense feelings that arise during these times connect them to the love they have for the people who have died and the joy they shared together. The loss of those we love is heartbreaking and devastating. And on anniversaries, birthdays, or any day we hold significant, it can be even more difficult. In my own grief, instead of distracting or trying to deny it, I started to search for what was underneath the sadness and loss, and what I found more than anything else was a profound love and joy for having the opportunity to be in the lives of those who have died. That doesn't mean that I've stopped missing them, nor have I forgotten their presence in my life, but it has made the process of grief much easier to be at peace with. My name is Michelle. I lost my daughter unexpectedly about two years ago, just over two years ago. Um, When I know that we are coming to an important date or event that I know is going to be a marker, um, reminding me of her passing, which of course I don't need to be reminded of. Um, I feel it every moment of every day. But when I know there's going to be something big like her class's graduation a year ago or the anniversary of her death, I remind myself to lean in. That's the mantra I use. I just lean into what I know is going to hurt and I want to feel it all because I feel that the hurt reminds me of the depth and strength of my love for her and I never ever want to forget that, that she was such a lovable, important person in my life and I never want to forget how much she meant to me and to our family so on those dates when i know or if i'm surprised that something catches me off guard i just remind myself to lean into the pain to feel her and know that she's there anniversaries are tough there's no doubt about it my name is derek and my wife died of cancer five years ago i do believe that people live on in our memories that for me is the afterlife The memories are always there for sure, but anniversaries seem to trigger them even more acutely. The happy and the sad hit with more impact. The sneaky grief comes in. Anniversaries definitely mark a passing of time for me and therefore a distance from my loved one. That's deeply sad. But there's also a happiness in it because the memory is a confirmation of hope and gratitude in life that continues on. Grief and loss actively expand the heart in my experience, allowing me to see the beauty and deeper meaning in the world than I could before. This all comes to the front around anniversaries, whether I really wanted to or not. And for that, I'm actually grateful. For Madeline and Rihanna, 
Anniversaries and birthdays spark memories of all of the lasts, the last time they saw or talked to the person, and what those interactions were like. And then I think anniversaries have an added layer where the day is all about that person, and you can kind of count back days or months or weeks or years to when you last saw that person and your last conversations and how their voice sounded and however your relationship was left when they died. All of those things come flooding back on anniversaries. My dad unexpectedly passed away two days after his birthday last April and um, was expecting the first week of April to be really difficult for me a year later. However, uh, living away from my family, I noticed that the last day I hugged my dad in February actually ended up being a lot harder for me and it came up unexpectedly. I noticed I was having a bad day and couldn't figure out why until the following day and realized, oh, that was the last time I saw and hugged my dad. And it was really hard, but uh, his anniversary and his birthday, which are just two days apart, ended up going better than anticipated. I took time off of work and did things that made me happy and ate things that made him happy. One of the most surprising pieces around significant days in grief is the way that our bodies can know a day is coming way before our minds clue into the calendar, whether it's suddenly feeling tired, short-tempered, hazy, or overwhelmed, the lead-up for some people can be harder than the actual day. Madeline and Sherry both speak to this experience. I think that even if we feel very healthy with our grief and grief and very okay with our grief in the days and weeks leading up to the anniversary, I find that quite often on that anniversary or like the day before or the day after, our body almost recognizes that it's that day and I have a hard time doing anything. It's like my body realizes what day it is and it knows what happened on that day and it almost shuts down. The week before the anniversary of my parents' death, I can always feel it coming. Everything just feels a little off. The best way to describe it is that my feet and body are moving one step forward, but my mind and soul are one step back. And so on their actual death day, I like to call it their D-Day, I'm always in the mountains grounding myself. And because we grew up going to the mountains all the time as kids, it's the one place I go where I'm really able to feel their presence. Being surrounded by nature and fresh air and solitude really helps me to get through those days and connect with them. Self-care is so important on these days, so being in the mountains is restoring in so many ways. Um, Eating chocolate is also so helpful, a lot of chocolate. One of the balancing acts some people face is, do I do something that the person loved to do or something that I love to do? Occasionally, those loves will overlap. Reagan and John talk about what they've done and what it was like to honor these days with large groups of people. My partner Austin used to spend a part of his birthday riding his bike. And so when his birthday rolled around, the first one after he died, it felt like we should go on a bike ride. So we got a bunch of friends together, planned a route that would end at a bar that he used to spend a lot of time at. That night came, we all were out there, it was dark, it was summer. It just felt like the right thing to do. We have friends in Atlanta where we moved from, and they also wanted to plan a bike ride. 
So it felt like so good that people were riding bikes on both sides of the country in honor of him. It felt like a good way to remember him. Hi, my name is uh, John. My friend killed himself. What I would do on days that were important, like his birthday, I would create some epic adventure that I felt him and I would both love to do. I mean, at first I had included groups of people to do things like summit Mount St. Helens and um, go on these big epic mountain bike rides up in, up in the mountains. And I found that I was still kind of alone with my grief while on these trips. And as I wanted to talk about him and kind of celebrate him, I, the people that I included were not close to him and didn't know him, and, and that made it challenging for this to be a real special moment with him and with my grief and memory of him. And so eventually I actually ended up just doing these adventures on my own, I guess with him in my head and potentially by my side. The way I was able to celebrate him was to kind of be alone with my thoughts, settle into something that was fun and exciting that him and I would probably have done had he still been here. And it's worked, and it's been something that I've done for quite a few years now. So that's how I do it. Thank you for listening. We also heard from Jesse and Jocelyn about how important the small, everyday rituals can be in finding support and comfort. Who knew that burritos and simple conversations could be so meaningful? In the first year after my dad died, there was a lot more anticipation leading up to significant days like birthdays, the anniversary of his death. Valentine's Day, for some reason, was significant, even though it didn't feel like that when we were alive, but or when he was alive. It felt like there was going to be something huge that happened those days that was unexplainable. Um, and so I would plan to do something in memory of him, like have a burrito from Chipotle because he liked Chipotle, or eat a Jimmy Dean breakfast sandwich because that was his favorite. It was nice to have a little bit of celebration about him. Um, Obviously bittersweet. It was almost ceremonious to just eat a simple meal that he liked in memory of him. And then after the first year, I, I, something in me thought, okay, I'm, I've made it through one year, so I'm, I'm done and maybe celebrating. It seems a little bit silly. I didn't plan anything for this year for his birthday, and it definitely felt like there was a lack on that day and it took a while to process days after about why I didn't feel as settled about it. So it's interesting that just setting up those little little like meaningful things for me and him are important. My name's Jocelyn. My brother died of leukemia. His name is Danny Enriquez. What we usually do in his anniversary, it's on uh, January 26th. We go to his grave we go every year to see how he's doing. Well, we talk to him as a person. We don't really talk to him like he's dead. He's like, oh, how how are you doing, Danny? We're doing good and saying, how's heaven up there? How's my grandma doing? How's my grandpa doing? We ask him for um, forgiveness if we've done wrong. We ask him some 
embarrassing things, which we have not told any of our parents about. So, yeah, I really miss him, but I'm glad that he's up there watching over us. I'm thinking that he's saying, hey, keep going. You'll survive this. Don't worry. I'm, I'm up here if you need help. I'll send you a message or something like that if you really, if you really want something from me. While many people talked about the birthday of the person who died, for both Beth and Ruby, their grief is intrinsically tied to their own birthdays. Beth shares about the public crying that came with the realization that the person she most wanted to hear happy birthday from wasn't there to celebrate her. Ruby and her mother, Yana, talk about how they figured out ways to celebrate a birthday and honor the anniversary of Ruby's grandmother, who died just a few days before their shared birthday. My mom and I's birthdays are fairly close together, and so we had always celebrated them together. And I knew the first um, birthday that she, uh, right after she died, that I was gonna it was gonna be hard. So I went and spent the weekend with my family, and I remember my nephews climbing into bed and waking me up on my birthday morning and giving me their little presents, and we snuggled and. Uh, and then I had to go home, and so I, I was at the train station and getting these lovely text messages from people saying happy birthday, and I just broke down. I realized that the one thing that I wanted most of all for my birthday was my mom's phone call that she had always given me, and um, I wasn't going to get to have it. <laughs> I've gotten a lot more used to uh, crying in public, but that was really the first time that I felt that crashing wave of grief and just didn't care what anybody thought as I was sitting and crying. Um, yeah. Um, celebrating or, well, the anniversary of my grandma's death, it's kind of hard to come up to come upon because uh, we have the same birthday and she died a few, like a week or so before our birthday? Well, it was actually just, I mean, it was just a couple of days before your birthday. Oh, yeah. Very close. It was really close. So the, the memorial was, was on my birthday, which was tough. It's also kind of nice, though, because in that way I get to celebrate my grandma's life at the same time I'm celebrating my own. I feel like we've been really intentional together, Ruby, in trying to figure out how we're going to reserve really celebratory time for your birthday while still acknowledging your grandma's passing. It's worked for us in the past to identify an activity that we're going to do to honor your grandma a couple days before your birthday so that when your birthday comes, you get that time just to really celebrate and focus on yourself in another year. What what do you think about that? No, well, I think we've done a really good job with that. Thank you, Mama. I'd rather have, like, her anniversary before my birthday for sure. Because it, it just makes, like, the actual birthday easier. It's like, oh, we've, we've recognized her and we've passed this mark. And now it's just time to do something fun, like eat cake. Then there are the holidays and other random days that aren't birthdays or anniversaries, ones that were special and unique to the relationship we shared with the person who died. Arandi and her mother shared a love of watching, but not hearing, fireworks. 
and Debbie honors her parents every year on their wedding anniversary. So uh, my name is Arandi, and my mom died of stomach cancer when I was in uh, fifth grade, so 2014. A significant date me and her did is was the 4th of July. We were both really scared of like fireworks, so we would, it was kind of funny, we would rent a beach house and we would always go down to like Cannon Beach and we would be there for the whole month of July. And on the actual 4th of July, we would do our campfire at like 12 p.m. But we would just do everything a lot earlier than like everyone else would. And then we would always go down to like the basement of the beach house and we would just like watch movies while the fireworks were going. And we would buy like the noise canceling out headphones and we would just like sit there and like watch the fireworks go because we both thought they were really pretty. But it was just like we both couldn't handle the noise because we both have like really hypersensitive ears. It was just something that like we do and then like after she died like we kind of stopped doing it but then got like another group of like really close friends and like some family and like now we kind of all go down to the beach and it's just a big group of people who were like really close with my mom and we all kind of do that as a way to like connect to her. Even if we're not scared of fireworks we'll still wear like the noise canceling headphones just to like keep it as like original as possible. Every year I have a ritual I like to do on my parents' wedding anniversary, which is September 2nd. I take a bouquet of roses and hydrangeas from a rose bush that I have at my house that used to belong to my parents, and I had the rose bush moved to my house after my father died and before we sold their house. And then I take hydrangeas, which I grow at my house, make two big bouquets, and I take them out to Willamette National Cemetery, where my parents are buried. I put the bouquets on their headstones, and then I usually sit and just talk to them for a while. And it, it's a way that I have of honoring of honoring their wedding anniversary and the, the you know the time that they met. And through um, the 64 years that my parents were married before my mom died. From them came five children, 14 grandchildren, 14 great-grandchildren, and four great-great-grandchildren. And when I think about the legacy that they left behind of this amazing family, I'm really proud of them and the things that they taught us. Acknowledging their wedding anniversary is a positive way that I can honor them and being able to take the time out of my schedule to go and do something nice and just just think about them and how young they were when they got married and what they taught our entire family through 64 years of marriage is something that I feel is pretty special. While these significant days can serve as a reminder of the connection we have with the people who have died, they can also be markers of time passing and of the radical ways that grief changes us and changes how we are in the world. Madeline views anniversaries and birthdays as almost a time machine, giving her a window back into the world and how she was before her mom died. Claire shares a poem she wrote about the ways in which her grief has changed and grown up in the 18 years since her dad died. I like to think of celebrations, anniversaries, birthdays, things like that, like a glimpse into your old life. I think after my trauma and after the death of my mother, I am a reinvented version of myself and I still feel 
in some ways similar to the Madeline before my mom died, but in so many ways I feel like a completely different person to the extent that I sometimes wish I could wear a name tag that says my name and then my mom died or something. I don't know. It has become such a huge part of my life. And I think that birthdays and anniversaries and other special occasions, they offer a glimpse back into my old reality, and it makes what is missing very clear. Whereas other days, normal days, I just live as this new person, as this different person, and I can see and I can remember that old person very clearly. This last November marked 18 years since my dad died. Leading up to the momentous anniversary, I often thought about the fact that my grief would be coming of age and becoming a young adult, so to speak. Writing is a ritual I do often to honor my dad's death and birthdays, sometimes writing directly to him to catch him up on my life, tell him the things he would like to know about his growing daughter. So I decided to write a poem about the process of getting to know my own grief over its lifespan, since it really has taken on a life of its own. Today, grief turns 18. Baby grief was nonverbal, bewildered, new and confusing. It hid its burden, inviting an eerie sense of normalcy as I trekked through the tough terrain of freshman year in high school. Grief lived in my backpack, mostly unseen, but forever reminding me that nothing was the same. Yet the world just kept on turning. This baby grief babbled on about how I was supposed to relate to it, feel toward it. I didn't know how to authentically tend to it or keep it company in a way that made sense because nothing makes sense when dads die. Then, grief became an unruly three-year-old, growing heavier as I grew lighter. Denying myself nourishment kept me feeling lethargic and floaty, feelings I misidentified as grief gaining more of a presence in my life. I wondered if grief was meant to crush me, render me numb and aloof, starve me, because that's what meant I really loved him, that I loved him so much I was meant to suffer for a while, because that's what's supposed to happen when someone dies, right? Honoring through suffering? Grief matured, moved from concrete to abstract. It began to whisper, I can be joyful too. Find your joy. Tend to your heart and body, because in doing so, you tend the flame of your dad that lives on through you. I took grief traveling with me around the world, paused to place earth from the Amazon and sand from the Sahara into the clay jar where dad's ashes rest. Grief beckoned me to befriend it, to hear its wisdom, to remind me not to judge or criticize it, but to trust that it knows just what to do. Because as Gerald May would say, grief is not a disorder nor a healing process. It is a sign of health itself, a whole and natural gesture of love. Grief became my greatest teacher. I now hold space for others as their own griefs are born and grow. I witness grief take shape, ebb, flow and cycle. After all, each one of us will get to know grief, perhaps countless times in this lifetime. This is at the core of being human, love and loss and remembering. As many of you mentioned, having a plan for how to approach these days is really helpful in taking down some of the uh, anxiety or trepidation of what it's going to be like. And this is especially true for Gay as she approaches the death dates of both of her parents. 
Hi, I lost both my parents in the last three years, and I'm very well aware of their death dates. As that date nears, I make a plan to do something to memorialize uh, each person. With my mother, uh, I bought a little rose plant because it was her favorite flower, and I planted it in my garden. And with my dad, I wrote him a letter, poured out my heart, how I missed him and how I felt about him. I think I entered it on the day of his death. That way, I've planned ahead before the date nears. And that way, when the date comes, it doesn't hit you like a sledgehammer, which can happen when the death date comes. I've already done something. I'm prepared. That really helped. Well, listeners, as you heard, there's no one way to do these days. Whether you're somebody who plans an elaborate ritual or you find a small, meaningful way to connect with the person in your life who has died, or if you skip the day entirely and maybe spend it in bed with the sheets over your head, watching Netflix. However you choose to get through the day, we hope that you know that you're not alone. And if we miss something, please let us know. Send us an email at help at Dougie.org. And huge thanks to everyone who participated in this episode. We so appreciate you figuring out the technology, sending us voice memos, and most importantly, talking openly about your experiences with significant days and your grief. Thank you. And if you are new to our podcast and you'd like to listen to some past episodes, you can find us online at dougy.org, where you can subscribe and listen in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any other platform that you're using. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening.